My guest today is a sports dietitian, nutritionist, exercise physiologist. She is a elite ultra marathon runner and she runs her own practice based in Sydney's Northern Beaches. Please welcome Sophie Brown. You want first place, come play with me. You want second place, go somewhere else. an everyday process. Coffee's for closes only. You're listening to the Mori Health Podcast. Thank you, Rob. That's okay. Soph, <laughs> how have you been? COVID safe and all? Yes, been been managing quite fine, thank you. Been practicing, doing a few Zoom sessions. Um, but now, yeah, back in back in the office, which is good. Nice. Plenty of time to do some running training or? Yeah, definitely. Been sleeping in and training at pro hours. It's good. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. That's what we want to hear. Oh, right. there's no races to train for. <laughs> so not sure what I'm training for, but that's okay. <laughs> you can do these. Uh, have you had virtual marathons to do? Um, I haven't done any myself. But Not signing up for those too quickly. No. Right. No. Waiting for the first one to come back on, you'll be there. Yeah, I'll yeah. be ready. Nice. Nice. <laughs> okay. So for, for all the listeners at home, can we sort of unpack who is Sophie Brown and, and how did she come to be the wonderful sports dietitian that she is that I, that I know her to be? Uh, yes, sure. Um, I guess I guess we'll start back in in school school days. Um, so I've always yeah, been that's perfect place to start. <laughs> far, far enough away. I've always been into health and fitness, um, cross country at school, little athletics. Um, did lots of dancing. So actually, I probably would have thought I might have been a dancer back from the school days. I did that basically every day after school. Um, but then when I went to uni, I, I sort of had to choose between running and dancing and I chose running. Um, so I went to uni originally, I did actuarial studies at uni, even though I was into health and fitness, I did a year of actuarial studies basically just cause I got the marks for it. And I thought I better, I better do that first. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't, didn't really, didn't really enjoy it. And I always had that, that passion for you know helping people with their health and fitness so I changed and did exercise and sports science and um, nutrition and dietetics so a combined degree at Sydney Uni um, that would have been like 2004 and yeah whilst at uni I did like a personal training um, certificate and ended up um, being a PT as my job whilst I was studying and did lots of outdoor fitness training, which I currently still do. So I've been doing that ever since. Um, got into got into running in like seriously, probably in like two, well not seriously, but did my first trail race in 2012. So that's what eight eight years ago now. It's uh, a long time. Um, yeah, and and so in terms of running, I basically just followed my brother into that. He wanted to do all these running events and I thought well I don't want to miss out on that so I basically just followed him and did um Glenbrook Glenbrook half marathon Manly Dam those sort of things for fun to start with um and yeah figured out I was not too bad at them so 
um, I started training for them and thought, you know, let's see where, where I can where I can go with that. Um, I think my first um, half marathon on the trail, like I came maybe fourth or fifth or something, and that was like with minimal training. So <laughs> I thought, yeah, let's let's put some effort into this and see where I got. So you know, fast forward eight years, oh, it probably took me about four years to to build a good level of fitness. Um, I joined Run Crew and I was coached by Gary Howard. So that's based at Centennial Park in Sydney. Um, about four years later, I probably you know, got to a decent level with my running. Um, wasn't at the pointy end. Like I, I went from like a, an hour 45 half marathon to about an 85 minute half marathon in four years. And yeah, so it's, it's decent, but it's not, you know, not fantastic. Not shabby at all. If I was getting those numbers, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was four years ago. And I guess I've kind of just maintained that since I started um, doing a bit of 50 and 60 kilometer ultra runs on the trails and did pretty well at them. So I've um, got a few podium finishes in things like UTA 50, woohoo, <laughs> Tarawira 60, um, Alpine Challenge, six foot track, those sort of events. Are you familiar with them? Uh, I've, I've actually heard of a couple of them. I, I don't think I'll be signing up to any of them anytime soon. Um, I'll leave that to you, but, um, some very impressive results, I think. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more recently with COVID, I've, I started, um, doing longer stuff. So I've started, did a couple of 80, 85 kilometer ones during COVID. It's just something to to keep me sane. Just casually, just, you know, (laughs) just a few hours of the day, you know, it's fine. It's fine. That would only take me, you know, a whole day to do. That's fine. What else are you going to (laughs) do? Other than work and train. Yeah. Um, So, sorry, that was, I kind of went off track into my, my running. um, No, that's awesome. No, that's good. I like it because it really kind of informs sort of your insight into how you practice yeah yeah and I guess doing all the running myself gave me that that passion on um on sports nutrition for endurance athletes which is where I'm currently at with my my practice um so I'm I'm not also known as the running dietitian that's my my business name um let's uh let's give all your sort of business and socials plugs so yep. if we look you up on google it's uh sophie brown the running dietitian right yeah yeah that's right yeah and that'll probably take you to facebook and instagram which is at the running dietitian yeah and then um, your email maybe. sophie at diethealthfitness.com.au yep so diet health fitness good very hey. good member thank you we're trying we're trying <laughs> Yeah, so doing I do that um, day to day. Um, I also work with mental health clients, so I work with um, a lot of NDIS clients, and I do that's where I practice um, exercise physiology and and nutrition, um, which works out quite well. So they, they, those clients kind of like to come in the middle of the day, whereas um, running. And, and clients who are a full-time work usually come at the beginning and the end of the day. So, yeah, I could potentially be working all day if I, if I wanted to. <laughs> but I've got to squeeze my two hours of training in there as well. Just a modest two-hour run casually. 
Yeah. <laughs> Most people that I train with want to give up their, their running after 20 minutes. So yeah. Well, um, as an ultra runner, I'm actually quite low, low mileage. I've been told like I only do like 80 or 90. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you should be doing what a hundred, 110 easy, right? Exactly. Yeah. Which I don't. <laughs> you were joking. No, serious. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Um, uh, that's that's actually quite funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a casual hundred kilometers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Four four five hour run on the weekend. Yeah. So, at, at what point into your run do you um, kind of negate that your feet are still attached to your body and like that burn sits in and you're just like, oh, that's normal. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't actually consider that. I just, I just run. <laughs> I, don't I, just feel, run. I don't feel my feet. Actually, my feet, to be honest, my feet hurt to start with and then the pain goes away. <laughs> I think it's probably, you know, a bit of arthritis or something. Too much running. You just get used to it, right? Is it exactly like the blisters, and it's just—it's not even a consideration anymore. It's just—it's just part of what you do. That's it. Yep. Black toenails are in fashion for runners. <laughs> How many black toenails can you get? That's the—that's the competition. That—that that is the <laughs> benchmark. That's sort of how you're measuring yourself against everyone else. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So nail polish is just black. You're not even trying. No. Mm. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, well, that's a pretty cool story. Is there any sort of interesting gigs or anything? Um, probably more recently, more than ever, maybe not during COVID period, but pre-COVID even. Um, any interesting gigs that you sort of had that you kind of go, oh, you know, this might be something that, people would like to hear about or I really enjoyed working with these guys? Um, well, I did really enjoy working with um, with you guys, with the, the Rugby League um, Refs Association. That was that was awesome. Um, I'll, I'll give I, you the 20 bucks later for that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no, because I, I, as you know, I um, practice from Peak Fitness, which is in, in Brookvale and that's, um, like owned or were associated with um, the badges, so they're, and they're obviously pretty high up with the the rugby um, refereeing. So uh, yeah, that's how I got the the gig with that, and it was really cool to go out and I think you were doing a camp at the time, and yeah. I came out to, to Homebush, and um, yeah, spoke about nutrition for NRL refs, which was cool. Yeah, no, it was. It's very interesting. Um, I really enjoyed sort of those sessions and and what I got out of that. And then, of course, you had me pestering you afterwards, asking all these different questions about different supplements and sort of how I could optimize my training. And it's like, dude, I was there for like an hour and a half. Like, you could have asked the questions then. Yeah. And I didn't realize you had this health background and you're an exercise physiologist and. Yeah, I can see why you were very into the into that side of things. The science. Yeah, most people are like, so do I eat chicken or steak? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> can I have a burger? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you had some good questions. Ah, that's that's cool. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I guess for everyone listening, Gavin Badger and Casey Badger, um, they run or they have 
ownership at um, peak altitude training in Brookvale. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know um, in other ones, like there's a few different locations or if they're just at Brookvale. I don't know. I think they're sort of, they know everyone that owns one of those, they know the other owners and yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Badger has been pretty good to us. Uh, exposing us to all these resources in terms of giving us a couple of sessions to train there and also having you come and talk to us. So um, we feel pretty fortunate and, and very special to actually uh, get access to those different high level um, training resources and sort of high performance professionalism um, components of what we do as, as rugby league referees. And so you should, not, I guess not many people realise what referees go through. They sort of just think about what the players are going through, but you guys are up there, you're high-level athletes as well. So you, you know, this sports nutrition and keeping it healthy and high-performance um, training and nutrition is so important for you. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. You've got access to that. Yeah. No, so again, thank you for coming down and, and having a chat to us for that. Um, so I guess today I was hoping that we could unpack a few myths about nutrition and dietetics. And actually, that's probably an interesting one, um, unpacking sort of terminology and what's the yeah. difference between a nutritionist and a, and a dietitian. Yeah, um, sure. If you wanted to touch on that to begin with, before we sort of get into the actual myths between sort of calories in, calories out, and yeah. oh shit, weight loss diets, um, like tea, green tea, and all that crap. So, um, <laughs> if you could unpack yeah. what sure. a difference, what the difference is between a nutritionist and a dietitian for everyone's benefit at home, that'd be great. Yeah, it's a really good question as well because um, there is a lot of confusion um, and when people go and want to see a health professional, um, you need to know who you're going to see and what, I guess, what qualifications they have um, and what, uh, what's the word, I guess, what study they have, what experience they have behind them um, whenever you're seeing any health professional. Uh, so the, the main difference between nutritionist and dietitian um, is that a, is in that study and that level of experience. Um, so a dietitian has to have gone to university and has a university degree, um, has studied at least at least three years, four years for masters, I think, for, in nutrition now. Um, whereas a nutritionist could have just done a short course um, over a few weeks or months, and so they don't necessarily have that that same level of um, training. A dietitian can call themselves a nutritionist, though, and I think that's why it's a bit confusing. So, uh, you know, if I'm not working in a clinic, uh, the other main difference is a dietitian can work in clinical practice um, and works with people with chronic disease, whereas a nutritionist is more general nutrition and health. So there are some dietitians that work in that more general space, um, like health promotion, and then they would call themselves a nutritionist in that situation. So that's why well, it is. A yeah. <laughs> I would almost compare that to a personal trainer and, and a physio or an EP. So physios yeah. and EPs are both um, university trained um, professionals that yeah. work with clinical populations as in they've got disease or, um, you know, health issues more than just a, a healthy population. They have some sort of medical condition. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then with PTs, they're really only qualified to work with, um, 
healthy pops. Yeah, healthy pops. And, you know, you can do a, a six, 12 week course or a six month course, however much you want to spend doing your course. Um, and you get a certificate to, to say that you can train healthy people. That's right. Yeah. So if somebody has a, a specific, like an iron deficiency, or if they're diagnosed with IBS or something like that, then you would see a dietitian rather than a general healthy nutritionist <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 okay well that's interesting parallels i kind of um it, it's good to sort of unpack that because most people would have no idea and then they'd go see a nutritionist thinking they're getting the same quality of expertise um, mm -hmm. and probably mm -hmm. paying a similar amount maybe not quite the same but um, they might yeah. even see a nutritionist is slightly cheaper and they go well if i'm getting the same information i'll just go to them really yeah. you're not so the other thing I should mention is, is diet, uh, dietitians use the science and so their advice is usually based around science and, and whether something has been proven to be effective or not, whereas um, nutritionists or sometimes natu naturopaths as well might just have this, uh, this I don't know what, what we call it, I'm not, not going to say opinion, but it may not necessarily be backed by complete science but they really strongly believe in something. Right. It, it's, yeah. it's not like it's uh, Eastern medicine or anything. Cause you know, that's actually been tried and tested over thousands of years. This is sort of stuff that people just go, Oh, this, this could work, you know, try it. Yeah. Yes. And exactly. then when you look at the evidence, it's placebo potentially. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of placebo effects for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Unfortunately, it's not, not very exciting when, because we all know that science is often inconclusive. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it may work for certain people, but not others, but we can't actually prescribe it unless we've got really good um, studies and, and research behind something. So yeah, yeah it makes it, you can't good. always give an answer. <laughs> Would you ever go and do um, further research? Um, I think not at, not now. I think I'm too far out of uni now to go back. <laughs> I, I was strongly considering that at the end of the uni um, degree, whether I do my clinical placement or research um, side of it. I think me and one other person in the whole unit were interested in the research side of it, um, but I never actually did it. So, yeah, I kind of regret that. <laughs> I'm very interested in it. Right. So we could potentially be talking to uh, Dr. Sophie Brown, right? Oh, it? too late, but I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Never too late. All right. Uh, I, I, I'm a firm believer of that. Um, I think I'll, when I finish all my studies um, next year, I'll try and go into clinical practice for an extended period. And then I'm very strongly considering coming back to do um, PhD research, but that's for future Rob to figure out. I mean, yes, do it. Um, <laughs> no and I'll try and drag you back in as well. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> okay. Um, so unpacking myths about <clears throat> diet and nutrition. So first mm -hmm. one that I kind of want to tackle is basic calories in versus calories out, how that mm -hmm. works and is it really that simple? Because you talk to some people and they're going to tell you, yeah, it is. And just count your calories and you'll be fine. Um, and that's what a lot of personal trainers kind of go off when mm -hmm. 
what I know and what I've sort of come to find is that it's not that simple and, and nothing is really that simple. We are, we are very complex organisms, very complex beings living very complex lives. And um, sometimes it actually requires a slightly more complex solution than people would first envisage. What yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we've, the general idea is there. Yes, calories in and calories out. So the idea is that we're in an energy, if you're in an energy balance, like you've got an equal amount of calories in through food versus the calories out through your exercise, what most people, this is the simple version, um, yeah, then we're in an, if you're in an energy balance, your, your weight, your body composition doesn't change. Okay, so equal in, equal out. If we um, reduce our calories in, in theory, we should be able to lose weight if we're keeping our calories out the same and vice versa. If we increase our calories in, then we will be gaining, gaining weight if we keep the calories out the same. Um, however, you know, calories out is not, is not just exercise. So we've got um, your, your basal metabolic rate or your BMR is makes up about two thirds of like the hugest component of calories out. Now, can and you just sort of unpack what that uh, scientific term is? Cause I know you and I know, but um, for everyone at home. BMR, basal metabolic rate, it's the rate of energy we're burning at rest. So just doing nothing. Um, yeah. That's the simple way. Yep. Um, so yep. essentially the energy that it takes for you to be alive. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. All our body, the processes are going on and they require energy. Yeah. Now, can, um, can that be measured? It can be measured. Yes, can be measured. Yep. <laughs> you put a, uh, what's it called? Caloromic. Uh, the gas. Calorometer, the hood. You can wear either a mask yep. or your, um, the whole sort of veil thing. That's right. So it can't be easily measured. Like, day day, takes about 20 minutes of lying down and just breathing. Breathing, and they measure the um, the oxygen and carbon dioxide um, the, of the air. Yeah, so it can be measured that way. Um, and then another part of the, your calories out is also, I think, it's pretty cool. When you eat food, your you burn, you know, your energy um, out goes up. So you're actually burning energy to to process and digest your food, um, and for those nutrients to go wherever they need to go in the body. That all takes energy. Um, so part of the like being not so simple is that all food a food that goes in is actually quite different. So if you had you know higher protein food, that's going to um, actually take a lot more energy to digest and process than if you're having a carbohydrate or a fat. Okay, so um, there lies some variability in the calories out depending on your diet. Um, and another, so what am I trying to say? <laughs> um, just trying to unpack the calories out and where the variability is. Um, exercise obviously will vary day to day and over a week and over a month. And depending on if you're an athlete over your, your athlete cycle of pre-season and in-season and all of that. Um, so energy out does vary a huge amount, but if somebody is sort of weight stable, you can assume that your calories in and calories out over a longer period of time is pretty, pretty equal. Um, to lose weight, you would need to somehow reduce calories in or, and increase calories out 
or do a combination of both. But it's not as simple as just doing that. Like if you did it too fast, then so your body your body is actually quite happy where it currently is if it's weight stable. If you've been a similar weight for a very long time, it's called the set point theory. So your body is at its its current set point. So if you want to change that set point, um, there's a certain way of doing it. And if you reduce calories too quickly, um, what will happen is your calories in goes down, but then your body will adjust by also reducing the calories out. So and, and how will it do that? Is this what people talk about when they say, oh, I've got a fast or a slow metabolism? And what, what sort of truths are around that? Because how do they know? Have they measured it? Yeah, so, yeah, and that, that is a bit of a, a myth as well in terms of what your metabolism does. But let's say you reduce your calorie intake really quickly. Um, chances are your um, metabolic rate would reduce as well. Um, and that could be because you, you do lose some lean muscle mass and body fat. So when that happens, your metabolic rate will go down too. But it also is just a, the reaction of um, heavily restricted um, calories in. So your body goes into a bit of a starvation mode and it wants to preserve preserve calories. Um, so then you get you might lose weight initially, but then you get to a point where you're plateauing and your calories in are a lot less, but also your metabolic rate has come down as well. So mm. you're at this point, but you're still not at your goal weight. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm with you. So, I'm with you. And then what happens over time is uh, if you're on a really restricted diet, eventually you're going to have to eat, eat normal again. Yeah. yeah. And then your metabolism is down here. So you're just going to put on the weight plus you might even gain extra weight. So that, that's why I don't like that, these fad diets and these. Um, mm. you know. Now to avoid getting sued um, from any of these big corporations that are making plenty of money off everyone buying their bullshit diets. Yeah. Um, maybe we can talk in more general terms in terms of the um, soups and smoothies people um, <laughs> or um, the supplementation people, they want to supplement everything. Um, mm -hmm. when, you know, really, if you just had a, a decent diet based in good nutrition, then you'd actually be in a much better position. Um, yeah. and then sort of there's, there's tea people, people that sort of, uh, claim that tea and thermogenics, um, where you boost your burn rate, um, yeah. when, you know, a, a good, hit session or a good run would actually do the same thing and probably 10 times better. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. actually doing what people have been preaching for years. It's just a matter of doing it and making sure that it works for you and being consistent with it. I think, I think people these days just want that, that quick fix and that magic bullet or whatever it's called. Um, but, and that's what, these diets um, sort of target because you can lose weight quickly. It's quite easy to lose weight quickly if you do mm. if you restrict your energy intake. So if, but, I, if I was getting ready for, ready for my wedding and trying to fit into my dress, like I'm going from a size eight to a size six, um, so, so like, I, I could do that in over a month and then after that yeah, I just bloat straight back out ten times worse. You know, fat fat wife. Yeah. <laughs> After that, <laughs> skinny yeah. wedding fat wife. That's it. Lots yeah. of people. Yeah. So that's quite easy. But what's not really that exciting is 
behavior change and changing your lifestyle, but that actually works. So when you look into why people are overweight in the first place, um, it a lot of it will come down to to lifestyle, and it's not not their fault. It's just how our society is at the moment. There's so much availability of these high energy foods. We've got advertising, um, and we we get lured in and. Yeah, just over time, generally, we, we are getting bigger as a nation. So if we can sort of tap into some lifestyle changes and overcoming some of that, um, then, yeah, weight loss that is sustainable is, is more likely. Yeah. Mm. Um, a good little tip that I kind of want to get confirmed by you is if you're going shopping at Woolworths or Coles or, you know, your supermarket, if you stick to the edges, um, you're in a pretty safe spot. If you yeah. go down the middle of the aisles, then um, you're going to be up struggle street pretty quickly. Yes, that's right. And that's because all the whole foods, the fruit and veggies, um, your meats, um, fish, everything's sort of around the outsides. So yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of thinking of it. Other than the processed crap in the middle. <laughs> and that's not to say that you can't eat like food that you enjoy, like a pizza or a burger. Um, I'll come home after a, a heavy day of footy and um, I'll splurge out on a burger or a pizza. Um, yeah. One, I'm getting, some, I'm getting some carbs and some fat and some protein. Um, but two, I bloody enjoy it and I feel like I've earned it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree. I don't think there's any right and wrong foods. I think you we can all have um any foods we like, but it's just about how frequently, how often we have them. Um it's that old 80 80 20 rule, if you're 80% right, or maybe it's even 90 10 rule, something like that. Um but if your everyday diet is is really healthy and balanced, then yeah, why not have a have a burger after a big session? That really attractive term moderation comes up Yes, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. Um, moderation, I suppose that that varies depending on the food you're talking about. Yeah, like a, a burger a day is probably not moderate. No, that's that's not moderate at all. Um, maximum two a week for me. So we'll, we'll see. Unless I'm really gunning my training. So at the moment, I could probably have a few more. Um, one thing yeah. that I want to cover, I guess sort of going back a little bit in terms of those fad diets and all that crap, I guess most of them, as far as I know, the understanding behind that is originally a lot of them are designed for preparing for um, bariatric surgery and sort of losing a whole lot of weight really quickly, getting yes. your lap band surgery done and yes. then going to a, a normal diet over a period of time where it's a very controlled um, yes. program set out by a dietitian and yeah. that you follow a very strict regime while these people are buying it off the shelves thinking yeah. that it's going to be, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and they hear it advertised on the radio as, you know, um, really fast weight loss. And yeah. they think they're going to be able to sustain it when one, it's not being tracked by or um, directed by a dietitian. And then two, they're not even using it for what it's designed for. Yeah, that's right. I think the, the big, um, thing there is that they're not actually getting any education or learning about when that diet stops, then what? So you need to learn about 
again, changing whatever their lifestyle or their, their habits were before they started the diet so that they don't end up in that same position. And that's why the, that controlled environment where you get regular um, sessions with a dietitian perhaps um, to teach you about the, the healthy way of eating afterwards um, and transitioning from a fat diet back into normal eating. Um, I think that's really important too. And that's a component that's missed out on pretty much most of those fat diets as you've, as you've mentioned. Yeah. And then I guess that's an interesting component as well, because if you do go from your fad diet to a normal diet and all of a sudden you're going to get a whole lot of weight gain mm -hmm. um, from all the research that I've seen, all that weight that you've regained is 10 times harder to lose next time. And then you kind of go through these boom bust cycles of, you know, I'm going through and I'm going to go have a, a weight loss program and then come back up into a normal program. And then over time, your set point keeps getting higher and higher and higher yeah. where you feel like you're going through an uphill battle. That's right. So every time you gain weight, you gain new fat cells and you can't get rid of them once you've got them. So if you're yo-yo dieting and you're gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight, every time you're gaining weight, you're getting those new fat cells. So it's very easy to fill them up and, and regain the weight. Um, so yeah, yo-yo dieting is, is terrible. You're better, you're better off finding like a very um, sustainable long-term fix rather than a quick diet. Now, um, some of the stuff that I've come across in terms of dieting that would be, you know, probably the most appropriate to push someone towards would be a, a Mediterranean-based diet as one, one of the best yeah. researched diets. There's others out there, not saying it's the only one, but you know. Um, basing yourself on sort of whole grains and um, mm -hmm. some good meats and, and fresh veggies just seems sensible to me. Yeah. Yeah. The Mediterranean one, it has been well researched and um, it's one that uses that, that word moderation. So, you know, you can have uh, meat in moderate amounts um, and you can have low fat dairy. Um, you can have fruit, obviously lots of fruit and vegetables, um, but yeah, it does talk about moderation. You have red wine in moderation. So yeah, I'm a fan of that one. <laughs> me too. Me too. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I was, I was going to say something about, oh yeah, fat cells. You were talking about fat cells a second ago and it made me think about, um, a lecture when I was in my undergrad with, um, the great Steve Boucher. For anyone that's had to come across some of his papers or um, been lectured by him, he's an interesting man, and um, he's a bit of a big advocate for intermittent fasting and fat cells. But before we sort of talk about that, um, he mentioned some of the science around fat cells setting at a young age, mm. and um, that you know they might you know reset after every 10 years, but essentially the fat cells that you have when you're younger sort of stick with you for life. And so it's very important to be as fit as you can, especially um, at, for females around to the age of 16 and then males around the age of 18 to 21. Yeah. Now, what sort of truths and myths are, are in that, that sort of you've come across? Um, I actually haven't come across oh, okay. right. that specific thing, but, um, it does make sense in terms of, because as I said before, once you develop the fat cells, they're, they're there for life. So if you obviously, when you're going through that growth period, when through your teenage and puberty, um, that's a really important time for where you're setting your, 
yourself up for you know for the rest of your life um so yeah but no i don't know specifically about um about that that research that's all right because it kind of he led on to go if you watch things like the biggest loser the people Mm -hmm. there's some people that lose a lot of weight and some people that lose a little bit of weight and Mm -hmm. generally it's because when they were younger it's the people that were fitter when they were younger Mm -hmm. got bigger um they were able to lose it easier than those that were always big or always carrying more weight yeah Um, Yeah. okay yeah that sort of makes sense yeah Um, i don't i'm not too well rehearsed on the science of it i thought maybe you may have come across something but from my experiences with clients um those that have been larger for a longer period of time it is always harder for them to lose that weight whereas if someone has just recently gained weight or gone through a period where they've gained weight it's then a lot easier for them to to lose that and is the message different to them like do we say to those people that have been larger for longer that oh maybe you do need um, a bit of a kickstart in your diet or really as what i'm hearing is the message is pretty much the same if you're making sensible lifestyle changes and decisions that um, will affect you over a long period of time and that are sustainable then that's the best thing for you yeah i think it, it depends on their current health risk as well so if somebody is, is like morbidly obese um, and they maybe are more urgently need to lose weight at a faster rate then some of those quick diets to get them down um, could be beneficial with the education about then their lifestyle change after that really it's Um, just getting some support from someone who knows what they're doing yeah exactly um psychology is also very important too so you often find that there's cycle underlying psychological issues um with some people um that has been a cause of at least a factor in their their weight gain and then being overweight yeah Mm -hmm. now um one of my favorite things that boucher did advocate was this intermittent fasting and a 16 hour fast or also known as a eight hour eating window yeah now um if we could unpack that a little bit in terms of sort of weight loss versus performance and sort of why you'd approach something one way rather than another yeah so the the intermittent fasting there's a few different protocols um the one that you said was is one of them where you fast for 16 hours and then you have this eight hour window where you're eating there's another one which is like uh, the five two diet and so on two days of the week you very much restrict your calories to less than uh, 500 or sometimes 800 um, calories <clears throat> excuse me and then on the other five days you eat normally that's another a way of, of fasting um, and there's been shown lots of benefits in terms of health like liver function um, insulin um, resistance and so diabetes control so there's been definitely been some some positives in in um, health markers with those diets um, and weight loss as well I think I think they're particularly useful as a weight loss tool because it's you know it's so much easier just to think I've got a I've got to diet for two days rather than seven days, um, you know, something like that, or only for 16 hours of a day. So it 
psychologically it's like a, a sort of like an easier um, and, and more sustainable way of, of losing weight. Um, and yeah, so I do, I do sometimes, you know, coach some of my clients through that diet um, if that's appropriate for them. I don't, don't, I'm not a big fan for it for like athletes um, and those who have really high energy demands. Um, I feel like there's that risk of them training depleted anyway and sort of putting their, their um, immune system, compromising the immune system by not having enough energy in, carbohydrates in, and those intermittent fasting diets might actually exacerbate that, that risk. Um, yeah, so I, I use them for certain, for certain clients um, for sure, but, but not necessarily those um, athletes and particularly not endurance athletes. Yeah, I mean that that's a big one. I mean, you guys have a high enough energy sort of output already. Yeah. Um you don't need to be restricting your calories any further. And just by the, the the nature of the training that we do is we're going to be in a depleted state at some point over the week um with our training. And so it's more about um periodization of your carbohydrate intake over a week so that you do get some benefits and I don't know if you, you're probably going to ask me about this before. Um, you do get some benefits with training um, low, like training with low carbohydrate stores, but you don't necessarily need to fast for that. Um, yeah. I won't go into it unless you want me to. <laughs> I'd love to. I, I love that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, for sure. Because then, you, you know, you, you might have the debate around like how much, do you really need to have Gatorade or Powerade on hand or is there something else that's out there that's probably better, but you know, just not well advertised or well known. I mean, um, yeah, I've real got something on my desk called thoughts, thought, what's it? Thoughts, which is just like another company that has sort of a, a multi nutrient thing for yeah. training. That's yeah. Like, Another sports nutrition product, fuel, electrolytes. Yeah, it's one yeah. of those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those sports nutrition products have a place um, in the diet for sure. On, but once, once, you know, you get your, your everyday diet right first. So I think we look at sports nutrition like a, a, um, a pyramid. You've got your everyday diet at the bottom that has that gives you the most performance gains, the most benefits is your healthy eating day to day. Your foundations. Um, your foundations, yeah. yeah. And then you, as you move up, you might add on top of that um, sports nutrition products, which could help with fueling on, on heavy training days or on race days or at events. Um, then on top of that, at the very pointy end of your pyramid, you've got supplements and they might give you one percent advantage you know, whereas if you had a poor healthy diet you're probably down already you know 50 percent so you haven't got that right i know people yeah. are spending a lot of money on the one percent and they're nowhere near the top yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so what's one um, percent when you're when you're training it when you're currently operating it 45 yeah. you know <laughs> yeah 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 or they'll have a, a protein shake as a meal replacement and i'm going but buddy you, you need to eat properly yeah. like you're not yeah. eating properly no, no yeah protein shakes that that one gets me as well 
I said a lot of um, people in the gym just having protein shakes and not, not actually eating proper food. Then they'll go to the Maccas or something on the way home. I notice you've got Maccas on the, your T-shirt behind you. Yeah, big sponsor for, um, for New South Wales Rugby League at the moment. Okay. Um, they're, they're paying the bills, so um, good on them. Um, look, they're, I, yeah, they're not my choice to sponsor, um, but if, if they're going to... If they're going to put their money back. up, yeah. yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, good, good on them. I mean, um, I'm not going past on my way home from a game. I'll be having something like a an up and go, or some almonds and fruit and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. and then having a proper meal when I get a chance. That's, that's where the protein shakes could come in handy. Is if you. After if I was a game, a game yeah. in Canberra and I'm trying to drive home for three hours, yeah, exactly. I have a protein shake ready. Yeah, at least you know you're getting the, the nutrients you need straight after um, and you don't have the opportunity to eat. So that's where it comes in handy for sure. That's the rare occasion where I do stop at Macca's on the way home because it's the only thing on the way home yeah. from from Canberra through to to Sydney. Yeah. There's yeah. that I'll one Macca's as you leave Canberra and then... It's just bullshit. I'll use Maccas in the morning for a coffee. If I'm driving out to do a run in the Blue Mountains, for example, that's probably the only place open. So I'll get a coffee for Maccas. Yeah, yeah. fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Actually, talking about coffee, yeah. um, if we sort of unpack this about coffee and if it's a really bad thing or if it's a good thing and, you know, being addicted to coffee and caffeine and um, yes, yes. Know, do we just take no-dos or um, does it matter if we have milk and should we be putting lumps of fat or butter into our coffee to make it, you know, power our coffee? Some I've heard some absolute out there things, really interesting sort of ideas um, that, to be honest, I don't know a lot about. So I'm not yeah. going to make judgment yet. And I, I thought I'd ask you. Yeah, look, I think um, caffeine is what, you know, caffeine we know is a, as a, performance enhancer so if we're talking about performance um coffee is a great way of getting caffeine as we all know um and so if you like to drink coffee then that could be a good option to have before um exercise what it does is it is it makes um makes your level of makes it how that, your level of effort so if you're working at a certain level of effort it feels easier your rpe would reduce yeah. Rate of perceived exertion. Exertion, yeah. Yeah. Yes, reduces for a certain amount of work. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know what I'm I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So if you like uh, coffee, then before, like I I would have coffee before a race um, or before a session, like if I have to do a, uh, a, not a tempo, a time trial. So if I'm trying to get to okay, race pace, race pace, yep, yeah. go for a coffee beforehand. Um, if you don't like coffee, then there is that no dose option, but it's like it's really um, strong in terms of caffeine. So mm. you might not go straight from not drinking any caffeine in your life to having one or two no doses. That would probably get you very jittery and you get the shakes and feel a bit yep. shitty headaches would you probably get headaches and stuff mm-hmm. yeah definitely how much um, coffee is too much or how much caffeine how much caffeine is too much 
so generally they say you can have 300 milligrams of caffeine a day as a general health guide okay now that's equivalent to about three shots of coffee mm. um so people do have a lot more than that and and caffeine is something that does you build a tolerance to so it's like the more that you have the more that you you need mm. for the effect yeah yeah. Um, so you can change that if you feel like you're having too much coffee. If you're getting more than 300 milligrams a day every day, then it might be worth looking trying to reduce it um, gradually. And and then yeah, what, what you need for that performance benefit will depend on how much you have day to day. So if you're a big coffee drinker, then you might need a no dose or two before for the performance benefit. But if you don't drink much coffee at all, then one coffee before might be fine. Yeah. Um, for that yep. effect. Now, does it matter if I have an espresso versus a, a latte or a flat white? Um, well, the main difference is obviously the the milk. So if you're getting a milky coffee, that's going to have some protein and some carbohydrates in it. So it would also act as a, um, a stimulant for the, the brain. So carbohydrates, we know before exercise, um, has this central nervous system kick. Okay, and that's a performance enhancer in itself. So if you're looking for that, then the milk would actually be a good option to have before. Um, if you're looking at fat burning. Fat burning? Yeah, so, if you're trying to lose weight and you're trying to optimise mm-hmm. sort of how you do things. Yeah. So as soon as we have a carbohydrate from the milk, our fat burning goes down. Um, so we actually would prefer a black coffee if you're wanting to keep your fat burning at that um, certain rate. Because as soon as you eat something, you're actually, you start burning what you eat rather than the stores that you have. Yeah. A lot of people really don't make that connection between food and training. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. So when we eat our carbohydrates and we release insulin and that has as a hormone in our body and that has that effect of down-regulating your fat oxidation, increasing the the carbohydrate um, burn or the, the rate of utilization of carbohydrate in the body um, mm. from the food that you're having. Yeah. It's a great system we have going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, if you look at sort of, I mean, you just maybe think about um, something that we've been looking at in terms of the obesity epidemic worldwide and um, looking at issues with um, leptin resistance Mm-hmm. And insulin resistance and sort of the connection between the two um, mm-hmm. and sort of how that plays out for people with diabetes and, and whatnot. Yes. Um, yeah. Now, and is that something that you'd be helping people with as well? With what? Sorry? Sort of just getting their um, diet in check to counteract a, an insulin resistance or um, counteract uh, a leptin resistance and sort of how they could um, build their lifestyle factors around um, their condition? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I work with a lot of people who have diabetes and so we look at certain um, ways of eating too. So if someone has diabetes, they, their, um, their ability or their their glucose metabolism is altered. So it's, it's not, you know, they, they, they secrete a lot of um, insulin. Um, and so they can't process the glucose that they have when they, when they eat something. Sorry, my voice. Right. <clears throat> yeah. My voice is going. <laughs> there we go. 
Do you need some tea or water or? I've run out. Yeah. Hey, look at that. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, people with diabetes have that that issue that they can't um, process glucose as much. So when they have a glucose load, it goes up in their bloodstream. Um, they secrete lots and lots of insulin. So they get all these sorts of other side effects of high insulin circulating in the bloodstream. Um, so yeah, there's certain ways of eating to reduce that increase in insulin after, after eating something. Um, and yeah, I help with like, Higher, higher protein, but definitely not low, low or no carb diets, which a lot of people think is the way to go with, with diabetes. Um, but it's more looking at jumping on a keto diet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hasn't been necessarily proven for long-term effects yet, has it? No, it hasn't. No, that keto keto phase. I thought we weren't mentioning diets. But oh, no, well, like I was talking about specific sort of um, brands and companies that could go, okay. hey, you, rah, rah, rah. Yep, yep, okay. <laughs> well, there, the keto diet, that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting one. That one gets yeah. me. If you want to throw out a few more interesting ones, caveman diet and carnivore diet, they're also new ones that are out there. And a word of warning with the caveman diet, sorry, no, the carnivore diet, if, you, if you're going to try it out, one thing that I've heard is that it does produce um, some interesting gastrointestinal effects where um, you may initially in the first few weeks or um, even ongoing um, have uh, some diarrhea and some sort of, it has sort of that diuretic effect. Um, quite it shows how good the diet is for you, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So just be careful. Proceed with caution. Yeah, one of those ones, um, there's that big risk of not getting enough fibre, like a, because keto, high, high protein, lots of meat and diet, um, those sort of certain ones that cut out, particularly the ones that cut out all your whole grains um, and, and often fruit, um, why they cut out fruit, I don't know. But anyway, so you don't get a lot of fibre um, and that can definitely have changes with your, um, you know, your bowel habits. Would that potentially, like this dumb thought, you can tell me that I'm dumb, um, that if they're not having fruit, does that increase the risk of, you know, these ancient diseases like scurvy to come back or am I just being silly there? Um, um, I'm not sure like scurvy's for yeah very low vitamin c so it depends on their teeth just going to fall out or (laughs) 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 their bones might become brittle you know getting calcium in all of the diets um Mm. yes and we know like we know that fruit and vegetable intakes has this really positive relationship with reducing cancer risk so if you're cutting back on fruit there's other chronic diseases that you're at higher risk of, um, cardiovascular disease and and cancers, certain cancers as well. So, mm. yeah, Actually, I was just be cautious. Thinking about sort of um, disease population groups, you maybe think about sort of people with um, inflammatory diseases mm-hmm. and the idea behind a, an inflammatory diet. Um, yeah. I don't really... Yeah, an anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. diet and sort of um, how to go about that, but... I don't yeah. really know a whole lot about it, but um, yeah. would that be something that you would talk to people through, like talk yeah. people through that sort of are interested in that? I'm, I'm a huge fan of anti, like getting the anti-inflammatory 
foods in and also having an anti-inflammatory way of eating, um, which comes back like that Mediterranean diet that you mentioned before is a one form of an anti-inflammatory diet. It's got lots of those fruits and vegetables in it and a lot of healthy fats. Um, we also know that obesity, people who are obese, they've got markers of inflammation. So there is, it's an inflammatory condition. Um, so putting an obese person, getting them to eat more anti-inflammatory foods and, and, and healthier to reduce inflammation is, is also yeah, definitely something that I would recommend. I'd argue that most health conditions are based around an inflammatory issue. Yeah, yeah, true. And then, and then you've got your athletes, which exercise is inflammatory. You've got inflammatory responses. So, um, yeah, very important, very mm. important. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. I like it. Now, <laughs> if we could give some, um, I guess, little tips and tricks. I mean, we've given 101 away already, but in terms of high-end sport athletes, um, just some considerations when they think about their training and, and sort of their nutrition. Um, yeah. Perhaps we could split it up into sort of sprint athletes, mid, uh, maybe team sports and um, endurance athletes. Yeah, sure. So all these athletes have different ways of training and their sport has uses different um, fuel systems. Um, so a sprint athlete obviously needs that that quick um, muscle contraction. It often involves anaerobic exercise, so that's um, where you're not using oxygen um, to to exercise, compared to an endurance athlete who, which is more of an aerobic um, activity, more fat burning, less carbohydrate. So um, there's differences across these different types of athletes in fuel utilization. And so, um, you know, what I might speak about with a sprint athlete is, is going to be very different from an, an endurance athlete. Um, do you want to talk about, I guess, uh, should we go specifically in, can I do endurance first? Cause that's my, yeah, forte. that's your forte. That's sort of, <laughs> that's you own that space. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so endurance, endurance athletes, um, as I said, the, the intensity will be a bit lower and it's aerobic, aerobic activity. So there's a lot of fat burning. And I think that's where this, this whole um, idea of improving your fat metabolism, um, going low carb, high fat and keto and all of that came into play. Um, whereas it actually, um, you know, we, we actually have a lot of body fat on us anyway even the leanest person has a lot of body fat to to be able to utilize um you know fat when they when they run or when they do an endurance and we sport. need fat we need fat people for like it's important yeah. fat is important oh yeah yeah we need it <laughs> we need yeah, it sure. um so yeah the so an endurance athlete is more looking at um getting enough carbohydrates for those high intensity um um moments we don't store a lot of carbohydrates in our bodies this is, this is anyone and because we're training for long hours um or doing an event you know hour after hour um we're training for more than 90 minutes so basically we would run out of carbohydrates stored in our body if we did you know a race for 90 minutes that would be it um so we actually need to take on lots of extra carbohydrates to fuel that that sport um that activity and so I'd be focusing around making sure you're starting 
um, your activity well um, fueled for, for when, it, when it counts. But How also, many days out would you need to start like carb loading before a big event? Only um, two days out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The theory previously was you needed to do it for a week, but that's been disproven. It's just two days. Yeah. Um, and so where is it going with that? Periodization of carbohydrate over a week um, is really important so that I do think there should be sessions where you are training low. Okay. So you might low, low carb. Yeah. Which yep. could just be trained first thing in the morning and you've fasted overnight. So that's, that's training fasted. There's a difference between training fasted and training depleted. Okay, so if you're training fasted, then like we said before, you are optimizing that fat oxidation for that session. Um, and uh, there's certain sessions where that's appropriate for in an athlete's um, week. I would definitely not get them to train fasted if they're doing that, that time trial or they're doing a race. More okay. of a tempo run or something less intense. Something lower intensity, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so that, I guess that's what I talk about with athletes is when to have carbs, when not to, um, looking at the training that they're doing over a typical week and making sure that they're fueling when they need to, they're recovering. I think that is, that's the most important for any, any athlete is that you're recovering after your training sessions. Um, a lot of athletes sort of just go, no, nah, we're just going to keep pushing. We're going to go harder and yeah. don't really look at that. Yeah, that's right. Or I don't have time to eat. I've got to quickly get my session done and then I've got to go to work or, or study or this or that. Yeah. 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 It's time to, to recover after training. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you sprint athlete. Um, we, I guess it's more looking at the, the body composition adaptations that you need pre-season. So if you are building strength and power, you know, there's certain nutrition um, that goes with that, you know, how do you maximize your strength, maximize your power from, from your diet? Um, yeah, so we would go into that. Nice. Now, um, two sort of odd ones, I guess a little bit, not, not really odd one. You'd be very familiar with the other one. You'd be like, Oh, that's funny. Um, so the first one, I guess, female athletes, um, their considerations in terms of loading and, and whatnot, does change depending on their menstrual cycle and sort of where they're at in their cycle. Mm. Yes mm -hmm. or no? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Big time. Like I'm at sort mm -hmm. of um, how to counteract that in terms of um, do you need to, for some people take iron supplements or do you need to start eating more red meat or green leafy vegetables or, or those sorts of considerations. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're trying to, you know, perform at a somewhat sub elite level, or even at an amateur level, is it worth, you know, talking through those considerations and sort of what you should be thinking about during that period of, um, of a month or sort of what your cycle looks like? Um, yeah, def definitely. So, um, the, you know, hormones change obviously within a cycle. And so, um, you get fluctuations in, in, um, fuel, the way you utilize fuel um, and also performance. Um, there's so, yeah, I had, I heard an Olympic, one of the Olympic um, athletes, she, 
no, this might have been this might have been pregnancy. Don't worry, <laughs> that was it. She timed the Olympics to so she was at a certain point in her pregnancy because of the hormone. The oh, hormone. right. And um, the benefit for her for her race. So anyway, sorry, that was off track. <laughs> but yeah, month to month, hormones change, and so um, you know, there's, there's going to be a period where you are feeling more fatigued and more tired, and that's just that's just part of that cycle. So. Um, ways you can get around it is, is to ensure that you're eating certain types of, of nutrients, you know, in, in abundance, um, whether it's, um, you know, magnesium or reducing sodium um, because you, you're um, to reduce the effects of bloating and, and things like that. So, yes, there's definitely dietary um, tweaks you can have around that. Um, but also if you can, like often it's out of our control, we can't really time when our races come up. But... I guess being aware that if a race does come up and it's at a period period in our menstrual cycle where we're, um, you know, it's going to be disadvantageous for us, then, you know, we'd be doing what we can to try and counter those effects through mm. diet. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, <laughs> the fun one, um, yeah. could you unpack myths about having beers and training? So I see on the NRL at the moment, well, not, not just NRL, there's a whole lot of different sports, but um, there's a big culture in Australia around um, alcohol drinking and, and, and whatnot. But I see after a game, these guys will have um, a tin in their hand and um, they'll, be, they'll be happily sipping away. And, you know, there's conflicting uh, commentaries around alcohol and, and high performance. And, um, some say that if you have alcohol, that's going to affect your performance for the next two, three weeks. And it kind of, that kind of doesn't make sense in terms of nutrition and how you process food and, and whatnot, um, to me, but, um, how would that affect you sort of what, what considerations would you take in terms of alcohol consumption um, so, and people that would want to have a drink? Sorry, someone was just calling me then. Can you repeat the question? Of course, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, I'm pretty sure you got like the, the opening part, but in terms yeah. of what are your considerations in terms of athletes that would like to have a drink um, and how would that affect their performance and what considerations should they take around training? Yeah, I think the, the couple of things with alcohol is the immediate effects of it and having... Um, too much before training will affect your ability to um, perform. Yeah. Um, so you wouldn't obviously have a big session right before training or maybe not even 24 hours before training. Very um, rarely. Yeah. Like it's... <laughs> That's another one. So if you had a big session within those 24 hours, the chances of you being dehydrated to start um, is greater you feel more fatigued when you're dehydrated. So, um, you know, that's not a good thing. Would your RPE increase? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. so doing the same amount of work, it feels harder. Um, and, yeah, so those effects of dehydration are, are real. Um, it also has this, like, for injuries and for recovery, it has negative effect for that. So it is sort of pro-inflammatory it won't help with your recovery process so uh, i know a lot of people like to celebrate after exercise or after a game with some beers um but i would just say don't go overboard particularly you know you know you're doing muscle damage when you're exercising um yeah, at yeah. 
intensity. So you want to you want to enhance the recovery process. And alcohol will dampen it. Yeah, and when you're considering sort of alcohol consumption in general, um, I mean, really, if you're having something every day, that's kind of a concern. Um, if you're going to have a big session, as you say, um, you you'd only have that a handful times throughout the year. Um, and then if you, you were going to have, you know, one or two, you'd only have that one or two days a week, uh, at max, especially if you're an athlete. Um, yeah. So I don't think there's any problem with that one or two days a week moderation again. Um, yeah, that's, that's fine. It's just when it's just around those key sessions or or games events. Um, that's when you've got to be careful. Yep. And of course, would no alcohol be better than um, having any at all? I mean, you were saying that red wine was potentially beneficial before. So, yeah, well, it's actually it's a bit of a J curve with the alcohol, um, meaning z- maybe one or two is actually better than having zero. Ooh. So I'm going to I'm going to go with that. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. In terms of health risk as well, that's why we've got a little bit of red wine on that Mediterranean diet. It's good for you. Right, right. I'll um, I'll have to start improving my nutrition intake then. Um, just, just a little bit. Yeah. You'd say one to two. Um. Okay. Shifting gears a little bit, but kind of similar pathway. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned we need to build a foundation with sort of basic good nutrition. Yeah. Then you can go through sort of sports foods. And supplements is sort of the top eight tier. Yeah. If you are, you know, at that high end or you are trying to push yourself as an athlete, let it be amateur through to elite. Mm. And we're looking at different supplements and whatnot. Oh, um, and even, even if you everyday Joe Blow and you're sort of looking at weight gain, um, I know this is kind of, this is really not talked about a lot. So I've switched gears a little bit mentally, but um, I know many people that are, are young males that don't like to talk about it, but they really struggle to put on weight um, yeah. and they'll, they'll go to the gym time and time again and, and really not get a whole lot of, they're not getting the gains that they're expecting or that they're anticipating or wanting um, from all the training that they're doing in the gym and they get disheartened. Yeah. What sort of considerations would you tell those people? For those people, yeah. So for weight gain, um, it comes back a bit to that that calorie in, calorie out. Um, obviously, weight gain training. If they're doing all the the um, hypertrophy, hypertrophy training, yeah. Um, so building muscle that that requires a lot of energy, and it requires. So I think. It requires a lot of energy to to build muscle as well as protein. So I think what a lot of people get wrong is that they just have maybe just protein and they have it at the wrong time of the day or they just have protein shakes throughout the whole day, um, not really considering when they're having it um, and also not considering overall energy intake as well. That's that's really important is you need to have enough energy first and energy comes from protein, carbs and fats. Um, so just protein. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then looking at the type of protein. So type and timing of protein is super important for, for muscle gain. 
So timing it around after, even before, so before and after your anabolic um, or your sorry your hypertrophy training is is important. And that and we know that um, what, like whey protein, for example, is like our gold standard um, type of protein in terms of it it maximizes protein synthesis um, after training. Yep. Um, we know that um, the other one, what's the other one? casein yeah yeah what about things like pea protein and that sort of thing um all these different variations for all these sort of weird and wonderful um things that claim to be healthy but aren't necessarily like organic yeah okay that's a whole other that's another debate (laughs) yeah but the protein has different levels of bioavailability so some we can grab easily absorb. Yeah, exactly. Easily absorb, and it because we've got this window after training. We've got like a say it's a one hour, one hour window after training. It's about one hour. yeah, yeah. Um, and so we need to get good quality, high bioavailable protein in within that window to maximise the the protein synthesis. So whey protein will do it better than pea protein. Mm-hmm. Um, the sliding scale. So, so chocolate milk and a steak yeah. with some yeah. veggies. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you've got yeah meat, animal protein. Um, so from the steak is is one of those high bioavailable proteins. So yes, that would be a good thing. Um, but you also carbohydrates get some um, often gets overlooked. We get a lot of protein powders that are low carb, um, but the carbohydrate actually helps. To, in the whole process as well. Doesn't it help so, absorb the protein? Yeah, it helps it to, um, well, again, to ma- like if you're Make not... Make it more vi- bioavailable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So go carb and protein. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else? And the, oh, the other thing is um, the total load of protein. Like a lot of people try, like, you know, I'm going to get 50 grams of protein in per meal. Like I'm going to have this big steak and the milk and... And it might just be too much. Like you we can, can only absorb what thirty grams. Maximum thirty. Yeah. Max. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that's like a hundred gram portion of steak. Like it's a tiny amount. Too small. Everyone's yeah. having two fifty gram steaks, thinking that they're getting plenty of protein, and they're right. only going to actually absorb a little bit of it. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So that's that's what I'd recommend. Splitting it up. Um. Probably having smaller, more frequent meals, so you can get that that 20 to 30 grams of protein at each meal over the day would be, would be better than just having three big meals where you're getting sort of 60 grams of protein all at once. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. And then I guess if we look at um, protein versus BCAAs. Mm, yeah. So is there a consideration around that or preference? Um, preference would be getting your protein from real food. Mm. Um, basically is the breakdown of the protein so it's the building blocks of that protein um, it can be useful to chuck in a drink if you're you know having a drink but you may as well have a protein powder if you're going to have a drink so um, yeah I think the protein over the, the BCAAs for the most part um, um, what about creatine Waste of money is what I'm trying to say with BCA. Oh, waste. Yeah, okay. So don't waste your money because you piss it out most of the time. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. Very expensive urine. Gotcha. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, um, creatine. 
creatine okay so creatine has definitely has some some benefits in um high intensity um exercise or high intensity like things like team sports um and sprints that sort of intermittent high intensity stuff um creatine will you know have performance benefits there again this is looking at like one percenters so mm. don't everyone go out and buy creatine it's not going to necessarily work for you unless you're at that top level um, top level and you're looking for that 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 one percenter yeah yeah um and and then and then with these things as well there's certain doses that you need to have certain doses and and loading loading effects yeah yeah so periodization often on periods exactly not necessarily what it says on the the label either so that's another reason why you should speak to a professional about it yeah And obviously, I mean, that's probably a good thing to mention. Um, everything is general in nature today and not specific to your situation. So please, 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 um, if you have questions, don't just take what we've said as um, going to fit your situation. Go get it assessed by a professional. Um, Sophie's available. Yeah. You know, at, at the running dietitian. Like, hit her up. Come on, Thanks. guys. Yeah, it's, it's not hard. Um, and I get annoyed with like the um the supplement like the um brands whatever they call the manufacturers um because they often put a lot of other useless ingredients in crap. there. In, yeah, exactly. Again, you're paying for nothing. Um, <laughs> you're a good amount. Yeah. The usefulness of pre-workout. Shouldn't you just take a coffee instead? I was, I was going to say the usefulness of pre-workout is the caffeine. So yes, you can just take a coffee. Uh, coffee instead. Yeah. Yeah, there's, a, again, a lot of other crap put into it. Um, the only other thing in sort of some pre-workouts that I see is probably beta-alanine. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so beta-alanine in the right dose has mm. benefits too. So whether Plus, or not you put it in the right dose in relation to the caffeine that you need from that, that supplement, you're probably so, better getting your beta-alanine separate from your caffeine than you can mm. do it what works for you, what's right for you. Now, if you want to break that down a little bit, for yeah. those that don't know, beta-aniline, what it is, what it does, um, and just letting everyone know that it actually has a, a ratio that you should be taking in compared to your body weight. Yeah, yeah, So if you just put your protein, your pre-workout powder in and you have whatever the preset is in that scoop, then that might not be the optimum amount for you. No, it varies. It is based on your, your body weight and you need to have it like a certain amount every three or four hours of a day, like a certain protocol for it um, to get the right amount for you. Mm. Um, what it does, it, it's got this um, buffering capacity. Um, so it helps with sustained high-intensity exercise. Um, you can improve your performance with that. So if you're not doing sustained high intensity exercise, the value of it is nothing. <laughs> so if you're going to the, the gym and working out where you're doing high intensity, then you're having rests in between. That's not really. That's not true. High intensity endurance sort of pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. Over, over the, if you're at the gym for a very long time and you're continuously doing your repeated, you know, repeated bouts of high intensity, maybe you might, mm. might get you benefit there usefulness and uh, repeat sprintability potentially for a muscle buffer mm -hmm. capacity mm -hmm. yeah 
yep, that's offering right. your lactic acid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. And then um, the other one I asked you very specifically about previously is um, sodium bicarbonate. It's it's something that I haven't tested yet because I'm worried about the side effects. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I have been in season since we've had these discussions. So um, I don't want to mm-hmm. test it with a I'm game. T- um, I want to test it in, in a safe space. <laughs> you can get some, um, some gastrointestinal uh, effects from that, the stress. So that's very smart, not doing it in a game situation, waiting for training, um, which is, the, I guess that's... Um, important for, for a lot of nutrition and sports nutrition stuff is, is you need to practice it in training before you do it in, in race in competition. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's supplements or whether it's um, carbohydrate loading. Um, yeah. Or what else? Just, or just fueling, like fueling for endurance sports. Um, you know, that can be very different under different conditions. So you need to sort of test that out in training. Mm. Yeah. And you're going to find out little things that work for you. Yeah. As well. Yes. And everyone's different. (laughs) Um, Another one in terms of supplements, um, melatonin has sort of come up as a topic of discussion more on social media than anywhere else um, in terms of its usefulness and sort of how it could work with um, sleep and and recovery and, and that sort of thing. If someone's looking to increase their melatonin, maybe naturally rather than just taking supplements for it stuff that I've come across is, um, is it Mont Montgomery black cherry tart cherry juice or, um, cherry supplementation. Um, hmm? <laughs> have you sort of come across any of that stuff? Um, I- uh, I've come across the tart cherry juice as improving your recovery, um, being an effective supplement to enhance your recovery, um, and yeah, but but not specific for the melatonin, um, which yeah, yeah I'm, I'm unsure about that. I need to look into right. that one. That's okay. Yeah. Now that you've mentioned it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm really i'm going down into the um the depths of like little niche areas of dietetics um yeah. and you you're mentioning um something before about melatonin well no i was mentioning this um this black blackberry this new zealand blackberry they've done a bit of research around huh? this but um very again for for recovery um so similar um, idea Similar idea. Oh, not with, no, not with the melatonin though. No. Okay, not with the but recovery wise, and that would only again be helpful for those that are pushing really hard in their training efforts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, these are all these one one percenters, I suppose. Oh, that's that's more performance, but yeah, um, for high high end athlete, we're talking high end athletes, so yeah, it would be useful in for them. regards. Okay, now um, I have one more weird wonderful topic i guess i i want to ask about specifically for my situation um and that is in terms of i donate blood regularly Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um 
and <coughs> the advice that they give you, and I think it's more of a, so that we don't sue them sort of thing. Cause we don't want to pass out during exercise. Um, or we don't want to go and lift weights and sort of our veins burst open um, sort of thing um, is to not exercise on the day that you donate. Yeah. Now, sometimes for me, that's unavoidable and I'll try and donate first thing in the morning at, you know, 7am and then my training session might be at five, six, seven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, What sort of things should I be considering between that morning session and the night. Yeah, so so you, morning donation and, and, and night session. Sure. Um, so you, when you donate blood, they're obviously taking out um, volume, but also um, micronutrients and, and iron is a big one um, or an example of something that they're taking out. So if you can um, focus on having like nutrient dense foods um, to maximize you know, the amount you're putting back in, Having some extra extra iron rich foods would be good, um, at yeah, and and but also like it's not a natural process, right? So the body is going to be sort of I guess healing or recovering after you get that done, um, and you're possibly going to be lower in blood volume, as I said as well. So rehydrating is important. Um, electrolyte drinks may actually be quite useful um, to get that quick. Um, you know, electrolytes back in the, in the system. Um, yeah, so that's that's probably my thing. And um, but also choosing a day. I think we spoke about that. Was choosing a day where you're not to donate, where you don't have a really hard session or or game or anything like that would be very wise. Yeah, or within 24 hours. So like, if I donate that morning and then I've got so say it's a Friday and then I've got games on a Saturday, that's probably not the best idea. Try and do it throughout the week some other time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause your body, yeah. Still recovering from that. Um, yeah. It's under a bit of stress and then you're just going to put it under more stress by doing your game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, is there anything that you kind of wanted to put out there to the world and, and kind of go, Hey guys, you need to think about this. <laughs> um, no, I think we've covered like pretty much what I was hoping that we would cover in terms of not being st- silly I was gonna say stupid not being silly and following these um these fad diets or quick fixes and actually actually trying to work out what works for your self um and that can come by speaking with someone um who has you know has experience in 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 working like as a dietitian we don't give one diet that fits all um we work out what helps in certain in different people's situations um but yeah i think we we sort of covered that today which was really good and the difference between nutritionist dietitian always a good one to to talk about um yeah so thank you <laughs> no thank you for coming on and, and really you know taking some time out of your day to um hopefully provide value for anyone that um tunes in now final question Who's the better athlete, you or your brother? Oh. oh, well, okay, absolutely. He's faster than me. Yeah, but, but relatively, relatively, as a female athlete, I don't know if I am. And then you also you place on podiums. Where has he been placing on podiums? Oh no, no, normally, but yes, once. <laughs> so that's you know, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? 
Bragging rights, sibling rivalries are real. Well yeah. done. It's pretty. It's pretty. I feel. I feel for him because sometimes, um, actually, a lot of the time he beats me, but then I get like awarded or you know, prize money, but he's actually one faster than me. I beat you. Yeah. Yeah. Former back. Nice. 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 Um, and again, if anyone's looking to find you, final plug. Yep. Where are we going? Okay, so the running dietitian, and dietitian is spelled D I E T diet, I T I A N. Okay. What does that normal? What do they put? A C I A N. I think it's the American way. Oh, okay. Um, the dietitian with two T's. Gotcha. And I have a website too, which is, yeah, that the running dietitian book. So that's probably the easiest one to remember. <laughs> nice. So, guys, if you need anything, um, hit her up because she is, as you know, and as you could see here today, that um, all knowledgeable and she'll go, if she doesn't know the answer, like my tart cherry juice question, yeah. she's going to go and look up some research papers and um, become informed about it pretty quickly. So exactly. <laughs> um, thank you for being an awesome resource for me and, and hopefully for um, everyone else um, going forward. Pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Much appreciated. All right. Mm -hmm. Catch ya. Bye.